A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Izzy, say what you just said again. <laughs> I just said that I bought you this nice wine to say sorry. <laughs> sorry. Wait, do people know the sorry story? I think so. We've said it before. If yeah. they don't, they need to find check it themselves. It's somewhere. Yeah, so Izzy found out that her audio was like muffled and fucked when she was at a nice winery and because she's an anxious pea brain like myself, she bought me a nice bottle of natural wine to apologize. And then I just said, I don't, I didn't care. Yeah. No, but it's when you make the mistake that you feel so bad about it. So we were driving to this winery for all of the lovely listeners, um, our UK fan base who messaged me saying, it's not completely my fault that I was going to take us to an Italian restaurant that served prawns with chocolate um, sprinkles it's the fact that uh the food in that town is notoriously bad it's not you it's ha- it's hastings yes yeah <laughs> and TripAdvisor. <laughs> um so we had managed to find this winery and we were driving there and we were really excited and then i got a text from grace we got a text from our editor saying which she'd already said the day before your audio is so bad and then I got a text from Grace saying, dude, it sounds like you're in a bunker. And I was like, God, I what know. have I done? I've ruined everything. And then I was too scared to listen to the episode for like the whole week. I listened to it yesterday for the first time. But yeah, I was at the winery having this big freak out. Couldn't even enjoy my orange wine. But thankfully I brought Grace some and we're drinking it right and now. Now we're enjoying it. Yeah. And Izzy just came up with the name for this episode, which I was thrilled at. And she like kind of did it. I was like, what should we name this episode when I... 
at the file and she said a pea brain prince and I thought she just came up with it off the top of her head. No, I came up with it when I was on the train. I know, but you just said it like so quickly that I was like amazing and it was pre-planned. But then we did find out that it wasn't the fact that the Airbnb that I was in said I had Wi-Fi when it didn't, nor the fact that my MacBook Pro completely died and wouldn't turn on and I had to use my boyfriends but it was the fact that my microphone was completely broken which we found out today we found out the hard way (laughs) yeah so anyway we're back and better than ever better than ever there's definitely more of a a vibe when we're together agreed a tangible vibe what's been up this week we haven't seen each other in a week so we're very excited i know i was like giddy before you came over i was like jumping around maybe you go first okay (laughs) (laughs) Um, so on the way here, I finally got a chance to read Issa Rae's Vanity Fair cover. As everyone who listens to the pod knows, I'm her biggest fan girl. Insecure was one of my favorite discoveries of 2020. And I was so devastated to hear that the show is finishing. They're filming the final season now. For anyone who doesn't know, it's an HBO show and Issa is the writer and producer and also the main actor in it. And it's about her living in... LA and kind of just not knowing what she's doing with her life and in season one she's kind of dating this like dropkick guy while her best friend Molly is this really successful lawyer and it's just very funny and hilarious and it literally is the way Issa is in real life so once you watch Insecure you just become obsessed with her as a person because it's kind of literally her it's kind of like how people got obsessed with Renee Zellweger after watching Bridget Jones but then I don't even think that's what she's like. Same with yeah. Sarah Jessica Parker. They're so different in real life. They're so like uptight in real life. Yeah. Yeah. But Issa was on this cover talking about what she's doing next. And she recently signed a production deal with HBO's parent company said to be worth 40 million US dollars. When Insecure debuted on HBO in 2016, it was the first comedy in HBO's more than four decade history to be created by and star a black woman. And it took off so majorly that they ended up slotting it after Game of Thrones because it was just such a huge success. Wow. So I'm really fucking sad about it. I really need to watch it, hey? Yeah. It's it's just, you'll just get obsessed with it. It's just so good. But it's it's very easy to watch. Um, It's kind of Fleabag-esque in the way that it's 20-minute episodes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Fleabag before Fleabag. Is it before Fleabag? Yeah. 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 So Fleabag is... Insecure-esque. Yes, exactly. And I fully missed this. In 2017, Twitter became obsessed with this photo of Rihanna. I remember the meme. So you tell the story. (laughs) Yes. So I didn't even see the meme, but Rihanna and Lupita Nyong'o went to the Miu Miu show and Rihanna was in these sunglasses and this huge furry yellow and black coat. And Lupita was in this like crisp collared shirt and thick glasses. And it became this massive Twitter meme with everyone being like, Rihanna looks like she's just robbed a bank or something and Lupita's yeah and someone came with a plot for it and someone said someone needs to make this into a movie and with then, and someone was like and Ava DuVernay needs and that went viral and then I saw Ava DuVernay and shared it and Issa Rae wow. yeah yeah so they were like that's such a 2017 thing to happen that's what happened with Zola Zola yeah like that was such a 2017 thing where tweets would go off and then yeah. they would literally get made into movies yeah a simpler time so Netflix signed it up for it to be a movie and since then, everyone have too much cash. I know, I know. They're like fine. They make the worst movies as well. I so it's um, kind of good that they didn't actually. They haven't done anything with it since 2017 when they secured a deal for it. But Issa said in this Vanity Fair piece that she's 
in a gr- group WhatsApp with Rihanna, Lupita, and Ava DuVernay. Oh, that's such a vibe. Know. You know, I don't know if people know this. I think you know this. But people get scripts optioned or things approved and then you just get paid and then the project probably doesn't take off. That's like 70% of things that happen in Hollywood. So some people make careers as screenwriters. They're mm. career screenwriters and they've never had a movie made. But they make – they're worth millions of dollars because they just keep selling scripts and it's just luck of the draw if it actually ever goes into production. Yeah, it's so wild. It's so weird. I feel like people never talk about that. Mm. Everything's just luck. It's like Dolly Alderton's – do you see that? Mm-hmm. Her show's officially gone into production now and she said they signed on for the show after a book came out four years ago. Yeah. And I was like, how frustrating would that be? You've just been sitting on it and it's not even gotten into production. So it'll come out in a year or two and it could get delayed. It, it could all be 10 years between her signing the deal and it coming out. So wild. And then speaking of Twitter, this morning I was randomly on it, which I never really am. And uh, ask Polly's Heather Havrilski. Ask Polly's Heather <laughs> Heather. Heather. God. The Ask Polly woman. <laughs> yeah. She put up a statement like a month or so ago on the cut saying that she's leaving Ask Polly. So she's been their advice columnist for six years at New York Magazine and starting her own Substack. So she's just going to take Ask Polly independent, which is something she's wanted to do for years. And we've talked about Ask Polly a bunch of times mm. on this podcast. She is the most incredible writer she gives the best advice she always answers kind of existential life questions instead of just the classic run-of-the-mill like i mean she does do the run-of-the-mill should i dump my boyfriend or something but the way she answers it is so like encompassing of the world around you instead of Mm -hmm. just this one question so she has been this just massive figure in the advice column world remember when we talked about the Family who were trying to kill the daughter-in-law with mushrooms. Yes, yes, yes. She had a mushroom allergy, and they yes. kept trying to. It's like, that that needs to be made into a movie. Yes, written by Issa Rae. Yes, <laughs> so crazy. So Directed woman, by Jordan Peele. This woman wrote into Ask Polly like two years ago and said that she feels guilty because her boyfriend is now estranged from his family, but he is so because they treat her so horribly. They would sneak. She has a like a deadly mushroom allergy that could kill her. They would sneak mushrooms into meals where mushrooms didn't even yes. belong. She'd see it, yeah. like, as she spooned yeah. the food out. Literally trying to oh, kill her. such a good horror movie. It's mm. so fucked. The Mushroom Killers. Yeah. A classic Ask Polly. I always feel like Ask Polly should have been called – I always thought this should have been called something different. I feel like the name Ask Polly put people off, and then it's because it sounded so different to what the content was. I know. I know. I always think I'll hate advice columns. Yeah, And then you too. read them, yeah. and they're interesting. I know, and that's the thing. I think then I just got on this tangent about advice columns today – and I was thinking about how we kind of write them off as being just silly kind of back of a mag, like last page of a magazine. Yeah. yeah. But then when you think about it, Ask Polly is such an inc- – you, you don't think of them as being like as esteemed journalists as other journalists. Mm-hmm. But when you read Ask Polly's writing, it is incredible. Adrian Carroll is Al's advice columnist and she used to be literally the editor-in-chief and wrote a huge book that we talked about a few years ago about how Trump – allegedly assaulted her mm-hmm. she's amazing and then i was like going on this big tangent about advice columns and they started back in the 1600s 
love. We love a historical fact. Yeah. When <laughs> this man named John Dunton got a group of his male friends to answer readers' questions in his new mag. And they were answering everything from like, is the Pope evil? To what is time? To oh my God. some um, questions never go out of style. Yeah, someone asking about a polyamorous relationship. Va- vibes. My theory vibes. is the more you read and the more you read old stuff, you realize that humans have always been exactly the same. It's just everything's bullshit. Like everyone was bussing in the 1800s. Yeah. And then despite advice columns, welcome to history. Listen, pick up your orange wine and take a sip, ladies. Okay. Um, <laughs> Strap yourself in. <laughs> Despite starting with men, advice columns quickly started being focused towards women, love, and relationships. So Dorothy Dix was the most widely read syndicated advice columnist of the first half of 20th century. And at her peak in the 1930s and during World War II, her column appeared in 273 newspapers and reached around 60 million readers. And it was at this time when tensions between working women and wives were at this all-time high. And so people were writing in to Dorothy and being like, you know, these women, I'm watching Mad Men at the moment, so it's quite funny mm-hmm. thinking about that. But it's like these women are homewreckers and rah, 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 and like begging to know what wives could do to protect their marriages. And Dorothy replied. Because oh, they were scared their husbands would bust women in the office. Because yes. they'd never, right. Yeah. Because they were just coming, they were mm-hmm. working with these women all the time. Mm-hmm. And so they would be having all these affairs. And Dorothy defended all of the young women who wanted an honest wage and laid the blame for any office flirtation squarely at the door of the male boss. Love you, Dorothy. Love you, Dorothy. And then, yeah, as women's roles in the world transitioned and they won the right to vote and divorce became normal and they could work as well as being a mum, they turned to advice columns to get through. I actually wondered that when you said you were looking at history of the advice column, (laughs) such a good little topic. But I thought, you know, women were so isolated up until they started working it was kind of like you had the 1800s Jane Austen thing where people seemed to just hang out all the time. And then you had like the forties suburban housewife thing. And I think that would have been so lonely and you would have felt so disconnected from other women in your life. And there was all this fucked up repressive housewife competition with each other that like that probably would have been a way to make women feel very like they had a kind of sense of community if they didn't have one. Yeah, or even just that what they are doing or what they're thinking isn't wrong and that other women think the same way because mm-hmm. they, they obviously couldn't communicate on the internet. There was no Google. There were no forums. Like right now, still to this day, forums on like Reddit and everywhere about mothers or whatever, like wives or, or whatever it is, are, are massive, like millions and millions and millions of people. Mm-hmm. And they didn't have that. And the New Yorker actually did a big piece on Heather, who's Ask Polly. I just couldn't pronounce her last name. When she released her book, saying that her advice is different because unlike most, as I said before, it focuses on the bigger picture. And they noted that the first person to kind of pave the way for this kind of advice column was podcast favorite Cheryl Strayed and her Dear Sugars blog, which she had from 2010 to 2012. Oh, so and then a blog. morphed as into a podcast. You actually sent me a blog post of hers when I was going through my breakup. Right, but I thought that was I thought that was just a kind of transcript of the pods. Nah. Like I didn't realise it started as that. Yeah. Mm, good old Cheryl. That's the thing as well, I think Elizabeth Gilbert has it's all these people like Glennon Doyle and Elizabeth Gilbert and Cheryl Strayed. It's something to do it's an intersection of our hatred of like aging women, women in general, and then like that slightly chuggy factor they all have. It just makes us really dismissive of their work. Like when mm. I first read Wild, mm. I was like, oh, this is good. 
like what an asshole thing to think. I think 70 million women are just like don't have good taste and I have some sort of, you know, I was yeah. like surprised. And the same with Eat, Pray, Love. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is actually like such an asshole. I think we, we think that things that women love en masse because of internalized misogyny or whatever are automatically shit or not elevated or not of a high quality. Well, I know, which completely leads into something that we're talking about later, which is the row. <laughs> yeah. Wait, how? Because, like, now that Kendall Jenner's wearing it, I yeah. don't want to wear it anymore. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, because yes, Kendall Jenner's yeah. wearing it, it doesn't so, mean that the pants are bad. No, I have, like, two brain cells today. No, you're totally right. We should just talk about that now. Yeah. So, the row, which is... Yeah, we're, we're such assholes. But that's, mm. like, the basis of, of fashion is, like, having, like, an asshole view like that. Yeah. But the row was started by Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen, and it's this very, 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 like, minimal, chic enjoyed this period as probably the most like coveted in the no label everything's super expensive and they really moved away from having any affiliation with it like they did everything they could to make it not feel like a celebrity fashion brand which then made the mystique around them so high and the obsession around it so strong and the and stores were amazing yeah the stores are amazing are amazing the thing as well that makes the row so chic is that it has no kind of branding at all. So your shoe could look like a normal loafer, but just with a tiny difference and everyone in the fashion industry will know what it is because it's the row. Mm-hmm. But to any, every normal day people, it just looks like you're wearing, we kind of, we talked about it a while ago when the cut did a big piece on the row and talked about how it's Uniqlo but for rich people Mm -hmm. so rich people would go in and buy like 40 of their cashmere jumpers because Mm -hmm. they're just they're made so perfectly it's one of those brands that just makes clothes that make women look incredible it's kind of modeled off like Phoebe Philo's era at Celine Mm -hmm. but we obviously can't really afford their clothes you've got a few of their clothes off Vestia and I've got some of their how dare you (laughs) out me like this (laughs) Yeah, no. They're so expensive. Who would pay 3000 They're so expensive and they're resale. I, that's the first, like, not red flag. I, I really love the row. I think it's beautiful. But the first kind of red flag I had about them was looking their resale value for clothes is, like, really, really, really low. Like, Phoebe Filo era Celine stuff still sells for near retail price and it's, like, seven years old mm. and secondhand. And it did at the time that it was coming out. And with their apparel, they haven't quite nabbed that. But their accessories are amazing. Yeah, but basically, their whole thing was always they never dressed anyone for the red carpet. They ne- they really shied away from influencing. When they did full page ads in magazines, it was just a white page, literally just a white page, and you just knew it was the row. Like it's like that's crazy. That would cost them like thirty thousand dollars for a white page. But now, I the, the Kendall Jenner thing just shifted it, and I thought, oh no, like pour the row. <laughs> Because this is bad. This is the opposite of what they need as a Kardashian wearing their stuff. Yes. And what's stopping Kendall Jenner? She's a millionaire from going into the store. I think the first outfit by them she wore and she tagged like head to toe at the row was I think $12,000 for the shirt and pants or something. Mm. So I was like, well, they can't stop her if she's just discovered it and she thinks it's really cool. What are they going to do? But, but then now, you yeah. told me, because we discussed this at the time, because we were both like, oh dear. It was kind of like when Bottega Veneta made this massive comeback, which we've talked about before on the pod, um, when Daniel Lee, who actually used to work with Phoebe Philo, took over there and became this 
ultimate cool girl brand and then suddenly Kylie Jenner was posting it everywhere and all of these celebrities were posting it everywhere and I was like, they will hate that. Mm -hmm. And then you told me at the time that fashion brands actually pay some celebrities to not wear their stuff, which is crazy. Yes. So this is something I knew before, but I also saw that Flex did a thing on this on her pod. Mm. But it's a phenomenon. I think it started back in the like – of reality TV days because when you watch God like kill me kill me kill me Real Housewives but the, <laughs> like Kyle for example she's always got the most giant Chanel handbag and the most giant branded Chanel earring and she just look she just looks crazy and I was like they would they would pay her not to do that because she's yeah. everywhere millions of people are seeing it, and it, it like sorry to be mean it cheapens the brand but they used to pay like Snooki from Jersey Shore and J Wow I think. And other people from like that universe, I think Gucci paid Snooki not to wear their stuff. So crazy. Um, so that's been a thing. I don't know how much that goes on nowadays still, but yeah. Uh, you'd think it would be a lot because even when I so when I saw Kendall Jenner wearing it, I was like, God, I bet they want to pay her to not wear it. Or if they can pay her to not wear it, they should. But then Kendall's been wearing it more and more top to toe outfits and at mm-hmm. the same time tagging them. Mm-hmm. Then Zoe Kravitz, after we discussed in detail whether she was having a lesbian relationship with Taylor <laughs> Page, who she's not, unfortunately. Yeah. Then posted another of her This Is A Thing random post with Jonah Hill. And both of them were wearing the row. And the row. they tagged it, right? And they tagged it. And yeah. everyone was like, what's going on? And then Dan Levy wore head to toe the row. I love him. Love him on the red carpet and tagged the row. And that was the first one that I saw the row reshare. So I was like, okay, they're dabbling in the celebrity game. And then they just dressed Heim for the red carpet at the Brits. Yes. So this is obviously like a marketing strategy from their end. And it's a good one. Like all the people they're associating with are like very stylish, cool people. But I think the problem with that is the whole reason a brand like that excels is because of this feeling of discretion and exclusivity and being in the know and cult status and all of that stuff and if suddenly like every man and his dog on instagram is posting it and tagging it obviously there's that they would have known what they're doing in alienating specific wankers like us but in that piece that we were talking about with the cut they talked about how the row could potentially be facing financial problems Mm -hmm. there was a bunch of top people leaving a really high staff turnover and then yeah in summer 2020 there were rumors that their menswear line could shut entirely and they are now potentially dipping into influencer marketing so we will likely soon see Kylie Jenner and what's her face blonde friend of hers Stassi Stassi baby (laughs) Stassi baby (laughs) in some matching the row soon yeah, that'll be interesting. I wonder if it, I mean, I'm curious if it does actually have negative effects really well, or if I that's just something we've imagined. If there is a negative effect, the positives will outweigh it so much because the masses wouldn't have heard of the row. Mm-hmm. So getting Kendall Jenner's following of 60 million, help whatever percentage of that is now finding out about the row versus losing like a small percentage of potential. But I'm like, how many of Kendall Jenner's followers are like, oh, I was going to spend $4,000 on a sweater, but I just didn't know where to spend it. And like, yeah. now I know there's the row. Yeah. Like, I'm like, I to me, the, if you're That's playing true. in that elevated market, then the whole idea is that you just court those obsessive money spending customers and don't worry about mass. Mm, yeah, that's true. So who knows? Kind of actually reminds me of an article that I read on Vox 
which was about TikTok and about how basically Addison Rae has been everywhere for, I don't know, the past year, but even just more, especially the past few months, she released a song. She released a song this year. She's starring in the remake of She's All That called He's All That. She went to the MTV Awards and wore that Christopher Esber dress that was everywhere and it was all over Twitter because all these millennials were like, who is this person? And then she kissed her co-star on stage. So that was another moment. And she's always hanging out with the Kardashians. I think she's on the new season of Keeping Up With The Kardashians. Mm -hmm. And she literally got famous because she danced on TikTok. So this Vox piece is talking about how Despite TikTok, when it started being this place where the most talented, incredible dancers and gymnasts and performers were on this platform showing off their skills and they were taking off and it was really a place where you didn't have to be a celebrity to get a huge following. Yeah. In fact, it was better if you weren't. And that's how Charlie D'Amelio and Addison Rae became massive because they were just these relatable girls. But then as it's gone on, how the biggest stars have kind of been weaned out and they're somehow just the most mediocre, pretty white girls. The reason that makes sense to me is because, I mean, not to say that when you get older, you get better at this, but I'm like, when you're a teenager, you are working on such a like monkey brain level that you just revert, I imagine, to like high school. I mean, we still do it now. There's well, just they- so many people on Instagram that just have so many followers for literally no other reason that they look like the kind of girls that would like bully you in high school. And a lot of the people who are on TikTok are still at high school. So it's, it's yeah, literally the, the most popular kids at high school are now the most popular kids on TikTok. Mm-hmm. And then that's transpiring to the real world. But what this Vox piece was saying is that now that TikTok's been around for long enough, you can kind of start analyzing why things work the way they do and why certain people like Addison Ray have reached such high levels of fame. And it's because TikTok, as we've known since it began, has the best algorithm like no social media platform is more powerful at surfacing tailored content than tiktok so if you're scrolling you pause on an image you don't like it you don't share it you don't do anything you just pause on a video or whatever Mm -hmm. for a second longer than you did on the others the algorithm picks that up so they're saying that this tends to mean that what we're seeing is the lowest common denominator of what human beings want to look at appealing to our most base impulses and exploiting existing biases towards thinness whiteness and wealth Mm. Which is so interesting. That's the thing. It's like we shouldn't be trusting our like secondary reactions to things because our secondary reactions to things are like so informed by all of this social conditioning Mm. where we're not even having a cognitive moment to respond to something. And in that sense, it's like Instagram feels so quaint and old fashioned in the sense that you do opt in to a certain extent. Like you have to seek things out to find them. And we have what seems like a much slower, more considered approach where you can be like, okay, I'm going to unfollow all of the accounts that have girls in bikini pictures or people that have really expensive clothes or people that are on holiday or whatever. If I'm having fertility issues, I'm going to unfollow like mother's accounts or something. Like we have more of a relationship where we're really controlling what we're seeing and we're like much more actively aware of it. Whereas it seems with TikTok, you're like really a slave to the content. Yeah, exactly. And they were saying that this, yeah, culminates in this median of everyone on earth's most average taste. So... Tugue mm-hmm. taste. Tugue taste. And they were saying that obviously on an individual level, mediocrity is a wonderful thing. You don't... It's basically TikTok is showing that you don't need to be the smartest person in the room. You don't need to be, in some senses, the prettiest person in the room. Like the thing with 
Edison and Charlie is that they, you know, would be in sweatpants and not wearing makeup and They're very Edison, like girl next door. Yeah, girl yeah. next door. And Edison isn't a sample size. She's just like a normal sized girl and mid size. We'll get to that. Mid sized girl. But the kind of mediocrity that TikTok celebrates is like a one that kind of never actually says anything. So it's just this, and, mm-hmm. and like the content you see on TikTok is never very good. It's never a great song that's going viral. It's a song that's super catchy. Mm-hmm. It's never a great dance that's going viral. It's a dance that's super catchy and easy to do. Mm-hmm. So it's just basically feeding into all of our silly pea brains where we're not learning anything. We're just looking at the stream of girls doing stupid dances. Yeah. And then they're getting famous off it. And then that's feeding into this thing that we're now seeing. I think it is kind of fascinating in terms of like the direction that fame is going in there's a lot of conversations that give us this illusion that shit is changing or that there's these shifts happening and i think this kind of bleeds into what two things we're about to talk about but heather widows who you interviewed for peace and bias recently is a philosopher who focuses on the kind of morality of beauty and she wrote a book called perfect me and she basically has argued that Every time we say the beauty needle is changing in the direction of more inclusivity, she basically said there's like three or four types of beauty and all you're ever served is like one variation on the type. So if you get an older woman, she's still incredibly thin, has incredibly smooth skin and fits all the other beauty metrics except for aging. Or if you get a non-straight-sized bigger sized model she's still incredibly young and has an incredibly like beautiful face and the traditional ideals of beauty right yeah, it's like uh, ashley graham is literally yeah. the most beautiful face i've ever seen in the entire world yeah or paloma like yeah. they're just like and it's it is great obviously to have these things but they also give us the illusion that the beauty ideal is shifting when it's these things actually reinforcing the beauty ideal mm. you know so like i think that's almost the thing with TikTok where it's we've really oversold this thing of it being this inclusive. I'm not saying it's not at all, but this idea that it's like. Being this new anti-Instagram relatable content. Yeah. With girls when the same people rise whatever. to the top in yeah. every single situation. Like yes. it's so deep rooted. These ideas are basically obsessing over youth, thinness, whiteness, beauty. They just always rise to the top. It's crazy. I know madness quality sleep is essential that's why the sleep number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature sleep number smart beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. 
So Pauline Pozikov, I hope I'm saying that right, Czech supermodel, 90s era contemporary of Cindy Crawford and Christy Turlington, et cetera, et cetera. I've been a fan of her for a while because on her Instagram, she basically puts up selfies where she has, she has no Botox, no filler and doesn't dye her hair. And she truly looks like 20 years older than Cindy Crawford. She's still so beautiful, Mm. but like, I think she's the most fascinating person to look at, to actually see what it looks like when someone in that industry doesn't get any work done. So everyone understands that every single person gets work done, is getting a lot of work done all the time. That's what I mean about it's weird that we haven't discussed this because the frame of reference for what's normal has changed so, so drastically Mm. and no one really discusses it because we don't even know what we haven't even noticed it happens like, yeah. Until you have someone like her who's obviously being, you, you have Yolanda Hadid being like, I took all my Botox and filler out and my children have never had any work done. It's like, we can't believe fucking anyone. And like, don't gas, like, I'm, that's, yeah. Yeah, just don't gas, Yolanda, like, gaslighting us. I don't get it. Yeah. Kyle's saying, I get nothing. I'm like, just stop lying. Yeah. So they're, they're celebrities, but even in normal life, older women, which is completely fine. I'm not judging anyone to get no. work done at all. I neither got Botox you. recently. Yeah, but it's like, yeah, I wrote a huge piece about um mm. about how there's a Botox boom and then um during it was booking Botox yes. for Vice. <laughs> so I was like, I'm gonna actually book and then um it was so funny because my editor came back and was like, We're sounding a bit like we're judging people who get work done. I was like, dude, I'm going today. I'm yeah, not judging of anyone. Not. But um it's the lying about it and it's even yeah, just older women, so our mums and people their age are all getting work done too. So it's kind of gotten to the point now that like you said, we don't even know what... Not our, like, not our actual mums. I think my mum has. Oh, okay, my mum has it. I feel like she'll be offended getting looped in with that. <laughs> no, my mum um, told me years ago that she was going to get Botox. And I was like, Donna, what? Because yeah. I was so young and naive. Yeah. And was like, that's so stupid. You're wasting your money. Righty, righty, rah. Yeah, yeah. But that's like that generation for sure is. But of course they are. Like, because there's statistics literally saying you become invisible to the world once you turn like 60. Yeah. But then the frame of reference is so skewed because we have absolutely no idea idea what someone actually looks like who hasn't had any work done at all yeah so paulina and then justine bateman who is like random but she's the sister of jason bateman but she had a big profile in vanity fair recently as well where they photographed her she's 50 and she looks 20 years older than most 50 like she looks what 50 year olds used to look like Hmm. and their faces paulina and her faces look really really jarring when you look at them in reference to what we've become used to. So I really loved, they just did a big profile on Paulina in the New York times because she's just like such a little muffin legend. She was a model and then she's refused to get filler and Botox done. And then she started writing op-eds for the New York times in her fifties. Cause she'd gone back to school to become a journalist. Love her. And she wrote one about how she, what made her a feminist in her later life. She's a queen. And then She's going out with Aaron Sorkin as well, which is so random. But her ex-husband, he's the guy who wrote the Chicago Se- Trial of the Chicago 7 and oh, Social yeah. Network mm-hmm. and made The West Wing. But her ex-husband was the lead singer of The Cars. They met when she was in a, his music video when she was 19 and he was 40 and got married. So gross. gross. And then gross for him, not for her. And then, <laughs> And then they had two kids and then he died last year and they were in the 
process of divorcing but were still living together and it was all very amicable and then she found out after he died that he'd written her out of his will completely without telling her so now she has like no money why did he do that because he's just a naughty boy because he just like lost his mind or something yeah he seems to have just like had a bit of a meltdown because he also wrote two of his sons out of his will as well and gave all his money to just like two specific sons (laughs) me that's crazy <laughs> they need to give it to her i know they literally just need to give it to her it's so naughty people are so crazy about money i mean you know mm-hmm. like will stuff yeah it just sends people fucking Absolutely bananas wild gaga but yeah i love her i mean again but she's like a great example of this where we could like go in and say like oh paulina she's such a legend because she doesn't get filler and botox but then she's like just been on the cover of vogue czechoslovakia she's the body of a 19 year old she's like fits every single beauty standard otherwise she's like such a good example of like look we the beauty standards changing because of paulina and it's like no yeah the reason paulina can get no filler and no mm-hmm. botox is because she's a fucking supermodel <laughs> She and she's kept, and she still looks like one, you know. It's like yeah. if Paulina had also done what is quite normal and she gained like twenty kilos because she's now nearly sixty and et cetera, et cetera, you know. But it's like Yeah, we wouldn't be celebrating it. It's her. always just one you can only deviate on one thing. But that profile on her is really interesting, that interview with her. And I think she's really cool. And her Instagram's great. She's written a lot of captions about her feelings about Botox and filler, et cetera. And then I loved in British Vogue an article by friend of the pod slash friends of ours, <laughs> Divya. Oh. Divya oh, Bala. Yeah. Cute. Divya wrote a piece for British Vogue about the rise of mid size body inclusivity as a TikTok trend. And I think we have kind of talked about this before, but it's like really trending on TikTok at the moment. And it's basically a lot of these active, like not even activists, they're just girls who talk about this who are basically like, you have quote unquote straight size, which is like standard sizing that falls between a UK six to 10, which is the same as an Australian six to 10. And then you have plus size, which is size 18 and over. And then mid size, which is like 12, 14, 16 is where large population of women actually lie, but that's often the least catered for. Mm, It's so true. It's so true. Yeah. And sizing fluctuates so much that it's like, you can be so easily sized out of a brand just because their sizing is weird. I know because there's no conversation. It's basically a girl in modeling standards who is a size eight and above is like plus size or they won't cast anyone who's a 10 or 12 or even 14 because you're either a sample size. So you're an eight or below or you're plus size. So mm-hmm. you're like 12 or 14 plus, mm-hmm. but there's no one in that mid size range at all that you ever see in ad campaigns or anything like that which is quite crazy totally even in terms of like influences or i mean this is about mid-sized influences but i'm like you're kind of used to seeking out plus-sized influences or you're just served disgracefully skinny influences <laughs> yeah the new york times did a piece and it's about how the weight loss industry is coming for our post-lockdown bodies it was on the new york mm. times i can't remember if i just said that I feel like I'm losing. It was on the New York Times. (laughs) But I thought I said that at the start. I don't know if I did or not. I think you did, yeah. Um, I read the New York Times. (laughs) I actually, I read the New York Times. I subscribe to the New York Times. If you read the New York Times, you might have seen this article. Um, (laughs) It's quite embarrassing to be a New York Times subscriber, to be honest. But um, it's about how the diet industry reached its new peak in 2019, despite all of our... So what def- what defines the diet industry? Is it like literally the old school, like here's a, a shake that will make you skinny 
I don't know. Because I guess like, the, the wellness industry would not be happy to be classified as a diet industry, yeah, so it's totally separate. I think it would be gyms and things like that would probably be in the diet industry. I did my first like shake diet basically in mm-hmm. 2020, but in 2020 it lost 21% of its value. So now that we're coming out of lockdown and we're all anxious and freaking out about returning to the real world, the diet industry is specifically targeting that stress and anxiety and trying to make money off us, which is jada and sad for us yeah that's so that's so naughty i feel like things are very cyclical as humans and i do think that like in 2020 our obsession with nitpicking everyone doing something wrong we've hit this fatigue and i don't mean that in terms of actual issues of injustice or or people doing the wrong thing but i think there was just this degree of people self-policing and feeling panicked about things and whatever and I do think part of that backlash will include this return to all this ridiculous stuff that we totally agreed was terrible Hmm. and I can kind of see the diet industry having a resurgence in that sense I interviewed Olivia Lang who's a writer I really love and her latest book is called Everybody and it's basically about like the history of bodies as political objects and it touches on lots of different things but it touches on like civil rights and sexual rights and whatnot and it talks about how we just think our era is so permanent whereas for people who have been alive for 50 60 70 years a lot of these social trends have like come in and then been abandoned and then come in and been abandoned again and I think we take for granted that like so much progress that we're at now could so easily bounce back and in terms of Obama to Trump yeah like things like literally progress isn't a straight line but like there was in the 1920s there was a lot of groundswell support in Germany, for example, pre-Hitler Germany for like polyamory and same-sex relationships and this like really open, free attitude towards sexuality. And there was like a sexual psychology clinic that people were looking at the ways that sex informed how orgasms could be harnessed for like political activism and all this cool stuff. And then Hitler came in and those people literally got like either executed or pushed out of the country. And it's like, we, we just take things for granted. And I feel like we feel like, okay, diet culture is over because we're on TikTok and like Instagram and Twitter all the time. And we're like, okay, that's not a thing anymore. But it's like diet culture is over at the same time as this huge boom in plastic surgery. That's what I mean. I'm just like, these things that we were like, oh, now society shifted. Now we're like, not fat phobic and we're totally Which was, yeah. thing. And it's just not true. Yeah. Like that change hasn't really happened. And so I think that, yeah. I don't even know. I, I'm just waffling on now. Just, am I making the point? You are making okay. a brilliant point. But sometimes you're so um, – Grace never has any notes. So I didn't have any idea she was going to mention Heather Widows. Didn't have any idea she was going to mention sorry. this book. I have an idea no, either. No, that's like the great thing about it. But then sometimes you finish speaking and I'm like, well, I don't know what to say. That was what brilliant. A uh, round of applause <laughs> for Miss Grace O'Neill. Uh, no, but it's very – it is very true and it's just – Sad, but yeah, the Heather Widows thing about us literally never deviating from one thing was kind of mind-blowing when I read that. It was in a profile that someone was writing about Addison Ray actually. Ah. And what's the thing that. that you told me that I don't think Heather Widows came up with, but it's like the extra level of work women have to do? That was a Naomi Wolf. It was in The Beauty Myth. Friend so she said pod. women have three works where men have like going to work. So uh-huh. we have going to work, we have taking care of the home, and we have beauty. Uh-huh. So it's the third work yeah. that men don't have to even think about at all. Imagine if we got paid 
Yeah. To be sexy. We should. We'd <laughs> be bloody millionaires. <laughs> we should. We should. Absolutely. I know. If we all started like aging like Paulina, I think yeah, men would cough up sorry. some cash. <laughs> they would find some money to allocate to the clothes. money. <laughs> okay, so like Naomi Campbell randomly had a kid. Like yeah. m- muzzled off, like so happy for her. <laughs> Same. So happy she for her. She popped up on wherever I'm in on Twitter. So I don't know, a little Twitter queen. On Twitter. Um, yeah, yesterday she popped up with just two feet in her little hands. I was like, what's going on? Great manicure for the occasion. And you've got a baby and you're 50. Yeah. Love. Love it. And Is you don't have she... a partner publicly. Yeah, does yeah. she not have a partner? Not, not that I know of. Mm. She was bussing Liam Payne. Mm. So random. Yeah, that's like the most random. The most random. But yeah, very happy for her. She didn't say how, but I I would assume likely via surrogate. Comes at a time where we have been privately having all of these discussions about kids. I'm Izzy's surrogate. (laughs) Yes. I'm having a cat child through (laughs) Grace. Um, And I'm actually writing an article at the moment about this phase of our lives that we're in where we are just stressing out about kids so it's really cool to see Naomi Campbell as a really famous influential woman just being like I'm having a child at 50 my own way exactly I think it's so awesome as well because yeah like you said we've been talking about this and talking about how bizarre it is that there's so much weird shame or taboo around all of these different scientific methods that we now that make us not have to be so panicked about our fertility and for some reason the way we talk about it like totally invalidates them which is bizarre like if once we found out that we could freeze our eggs i don't know that much about egg freezing but like once we found out about that or that we could have kids by a surrogate we should have all been like awesome like that's so sick now we just don't have to worry and instead those things are never talked about or they're talked about with this weird judgy tone Adoption, I find so No one talks strange. about adoption. No one talks about... We're in this, like, woke society. Yeah. Where we're all kind of supposed to be more empathetic to the world around us and understand that, like, climate change is real and there's too many humans and not enough humans with, like, literal families. And instead of us all being like, hey, why don't we just kill two birds, one stone, not have to worry about our fertility or our biological mm-hmm. clocks, wait until we want to... Obviously, there's adoption comes with complications and there's wait times and rah-rah. But plan for that when we're 40 if we want, 45 if we want, 50 if we want, and help another child that's already in the world. We just, like, literally, I don't know one person that explores that as their first priority. It's always, Mm -hmm. like, trying to get pregnant naturally, IVF as a second alternative and then potentially adoption down the line if that doesn't work and that's always thought of as being like this really dire circumstance we need to reframe the narrative we need to reframe the narrative on so much of this stuff i'm watching real house of new york (laughs) sorry but bethany frankel with the first two seasons her arc is i need to lock down a relationship and get knocked up in the next two years and I'm like, why? Yeah, why? If you have a really successful career, you're a very attractive person, you have lots of money, you're like famous, go sort it out. You have options available. Yeah, you can have the a baby that, by yourself. The things that I think stop women from being able to have children on their own is financial factors. Mm. Like, you know. Paying for IVF or whatever. Paying for IVF, paying for surrogacy, raising a child on your own, et cetera, et cetera. All the normal things, like maternity leave. But 
if your position is that you have the financial freedom, which most women don't have, why are you so panicked about getting like anyone who will knock you up to knock you up just so you can have this perfect home set up that is really not optimum for like most people in any way. And I feel like so many people we know that have issues or are fucked up are people whose parents f- try to f- shove that formula into existence where it just didn't fit. And people, mm. you know, who have like really nice relationships with their parents are unusual household setups where people kind of co-parent and are friendly but are not together or you know yeah that's so true ariel levy wrote this really fucked up which i'll never forget about (laughs) essay about uh, having a stillbirth in mongolia but she's bisexual and she and her best guy friend who was a gay man did ivf together she got pregnant and they sat and talked and planned it and were like we both want to be parents We'd be great co-parents. They sat and talked about all their values. They sat and talked about how much money they could put aside each month. They sat and talked about how they would split up time with the children, how they could move houses to be closer to each other. And I was like, that is fantastic. Like, that is fantastic. That is a better setup than 80% of setups when people have children. Mm-hmm. And the idea that we're still, even with all our progress, so married to this marriage, biological baby, by 32 narrative is, like, quite insane. It's quite insane. Yeah, and the way that we still view people who are child-free as, like... We see that as, a, as like, forced circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. Or we see someone who's looking into adoption as it being the last resort. It's never something that someone's been thinking of for years and planned for and didn't actually want their own child. I also find the narrative around it being selfish to not have children is quite a funny narrative. So people think that you're selfish for wanting to kind of have your life to yourself and not bring a kid into the world. But I kind of think it's sometimes selfish to have a kid because a lot of the time you're having a kid because you want to have your own biology. Like basically the only reason I would want a kid is because I'm like, oh my God, I want to see what this little muffin baby looks like. Baby is and a... Yeah, and, and like have mine and the person I love's genetics and this tiny little thing and it'd be my creation. And I'm like, that feels selfish too. Yeah, and I think it's also acting like being selfish is a bad thing is weird because I'm like the biggest reason and this is the thing I I think I want to have children and I think I would be a good parent because I think I've really thought about got my head around why you would have a child and what the purpose is and what kind of setup I would want to have a child in and how I would want to raise like I think a lot about that stuff and I talk a lot about it I talk a lot to my friends about it because I just I feel like it's such a massive deal and it's kind of treated as not that big a deal in mm. our society, mm. which I find bizarre. Everyone should be – I don't think everyone should be talking about babies nonstop because it feels like that. But I think people should be talking way before the baby stage nonstop about like, why do I actually want this? Do mm. I actually really want this? Is this actually really the partner that I want to be tied to for 20 years? Am I actually really in a financial position where I want to give – 60% of my income away for the next 20 years? Do, do I really want to sacrifice where I'm at with my career? Like being honest about those things and not thinking that it's shameful or bad to be like, no, yeah, I don't. I love my lifestyle. I love being able to travel. I love being able to spend money on myself and spend money on clothes. And I actually don't feel like I want to give that up. And that's okay, you know? Yeah. And maybe I'll get to And it's age. okay to want to do that. It's and okay. that is, it's not selfish. It's being a person no (laughs) as in as in like also it's okay to be like no i want to be a mum. that's all i've ever wanted and and that's what i that's what i like want to do with my life and it's just like 
women are constantly pitted against each other for the choices we make. If you decide to be child free or if you decide to have kids, there's always, it feels like it's this weird judging of the other person. Like this New York Times journalist Liz Brunig last week was getting absolute shit hurled at her on Twitter because she wrote an op-ed, just a boring generic op-ed saying, I had my first kid at 25 and I'm happy I did. The backstory to that, as in why a lot of people kicked off, is because I think she's Christian and pro-life. But in the op-ed, if you just read that, basically mm. all she's saying is... I didn't is, know that when I read it, and I was yeah, like, I can't yeah. believe this has any controversy around it. Yeah, me. but all she said was, I had a kid at 25, and I'm happy that I that I did that, and I've had a great relationship with my kid, and rah, rah, rah. And it's like... And I made my career work. Like, yeah, I, I wasn't make- at the perfect stage in my career, but I've made it work. Yeah. yeah, and it's like there's just constantly backlash no matter what you do, but congrats to Naomi. So happy for you, Naomi. And to be honest, that is probably the best time ever to have a kid. I mean, I would be tired. But... I know, but Naomi's, she's I like... Know. I'm tired now. Uh, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm tired now. <laughs> Sorry, probably be the, yeah, the same amount of tired at 50. Okay, it's time for everyone's favorite segment. Jardé moments of the week. Actually, I can't decide what to start with. Maybe Ariana Grande getting married to the real estate agent. I know. Little muffins. Little muffins. So, so Ariana Grande <laughs> randomly got married to a Los Angeles real estate agent named Dalton Gomez. I'm all for this relationship. I love it. At first, I was confused because I thought, who is this random man? He seems jare. But then I've kind of been looking i've been just finding basically any photo i can of him and seeing that he's very stylish and seems very cool super low-key and also now i'm across how much real estate agents in los angeles make it's all making a bit more sense yeah you're a real estate agent in australia you're like hardly raking in you know 100 million a year no so he met her by he was showing her a property so he's obviously like fucking minted so those celebrity real estate agents you make 30% 30% of the properties you sell, you're selling properties for like 17 million US dollars. You fucking like weekly, add the yeah. sum up because I can't, but a lot. And then they had a whirlwind romance as Ariana Grande is wont to do and then decided that they wanted to get married before their schedules got too busy. I really hope this one works out because not that like she's not this crazy person who's dated a lot of people, but I, I just think of her as being quite a romantic pea brain and getting quite caught up in the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fully. She's in a full turbo relationship and she has just gone. She's taken the turbo, the, the COVID turbo relationship to its logical extreme. Yes. The co- Will there be, oh my God, like prepare your pens, like the, ter- the COVID, like the COVID wedding divorce or whatever. Yes. In a year's time. Yes. Not that we want that for Ariana, but. That will be a thing for sure. That will be a thing. So I've looked at some Jumois blind items on this wedding. Beautiful. And apparently they created an extremely leafy canopy in her garden to make sure that no drones could get in on the action. Sensible. Sensible and picturesque. Remember when Hayley Baldwin walked in a tent across the lawn? Oh my God. Mm. Oh my God. Quite like, like iconic. It's, I love that they did that. such iconic behavior. Mm. I wish they had a reality show. Yes. I wish they had a reality show. It'd be so but they, they would be so boring. Uh, yeah, that's true. It'd be a lot of like Hillsong scenes. Mm. And then the other thing which I thought was hilarious because it makes no sense is that apparently like loud bird chirping noises were like blasting out of her house all day to like cover the noise. Which seems... That doesn't make any sense. So like, unnecessary because she could just be having people over for a party. 
What? Yeah. Bird chirping noises through the entire ceremony. <laughs> yeah. And like, how did that work? Like it was out the front of the house and the back couldn't hear it or like, mm. I just don't, I just don't get it. And then apparently it was like very intimate and just, she had a few friends fly in from wherever she's from originally. Childhood friends. Yeah. Cute. I, I like. I know what dress she wore. Same. I don't know if she. I bet it was it. short. Oh yeah. nah. Oh nah. Maybe it wasn't like a big princess. Big princess. Yeah. Big princess poofy gown. Yeah. Very. And her hair upright. Yeah. In a veil. Yes. Very happy for her. I wonder if she'll share photos. Strapless for sure. Yes. A fish. I would literally bet every penny to my name that that dress was strapless. And according to a bunch of publications, cute little Dalton likes to be really private. So I don't know if she'll actually share anything from the wedding, but she seems, she's like, um, got that Instagram addict, very girl, manic girlfriend energy where she'll randomly just not post about him at all. And then post like seven photos of him and be like, I love you. And then yeah. like, yeah. stop. It might be like a Tom and Giselle brunch in where they don't post for the first 10 years and then just like can't stop posting and everyone's like, we don't care now. Yes. <laughs> the second Jardin moment of the week is um, that Prince Harry <laughs> don't went on Dax Shepard, who we can't stop talking about. Why are we so ahead of the ball? We should be his PR. Dax Shepard's Armchair Expert podcast. Why did... I feel like it's beneath Prince Harry. Of course it's beneath Prince Harry. That's not even a discussion. He's on Dax Shepard's When you podcast. sent it to me, I was like truly shocked. I Same. was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I was reading an article. Fuck knows about what. I think I was reading an article about like Megan's at home style or some shit. She <laughs> was in the trailer for Harry and Oprah's new docuseries, The Me You Can't See, which actually looks really cute. And I started crying watching the trailer because I'm getting my period. <laughs> but, um... They they said in the article, rah, 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 Prince Harry said while on Dax Stupid's podcast. And I was like, stop the fucking press. And he, and he has his own podcast. It's like. Do it on your own. I think they've on only, your... episode, only released like one episode of that Spotify podcast. Have they? I'm sure. They're being like extremely random with okay. their media appearances. They are, but the me you can't see looks, looks very good. I must say so myself. But. Like James Corden, Oprah, Dax Shepard, your own Spotify podcast with Elton like all of this in a six month period. It's like a lot to, it's a lot to handle. I don't know who's doing their PR, but I think they need to get someone else. <laughs> so the same person that's doing the row, just like too much exposure. I don't know if Prince Harry had ever listened to Armchair Expert in his life. But Dax Shepard is so outrageous on that. It's like James, I thought James Corden was random because James Corden is really funny and kind of a bit risky he's english he has that like reverence for royalty that like a dax shepherd would just not have no like the yeah. minute harry arrives dax shepherd's talking he literally just goes straight into harry taking drugs and partying in his 20s right and then talks about how he thinks he's hot and how he's semi-erect and stuff and prince harry yeah. was just so awkward but he said mm. of course some very jade p rain things which is why when I was on the train, uh, the episode title came to me came because to you and it. I was just like, I, I wrote on our doc, he's literally such a little pea brain. I love him. And then wrote a pea brain prince in caps. Um, he said, California is his spiritual home. He said he texts Orlando Bloom. Lol. That man is everywhere. That is like that. What more, what more does one need to know? Ugh. than that Harry's like BFFs with Orlando. Of course. Like, 
Well, they live in Montecito. I wondered if the interview was in Katy Perry's and Orlando Bloom's garden. I thought that was in Gail King's, but I don't but know. Where Gail I got King that from. was like, no, I wish I lived in that house. Oh. Yeah. So then I was like, who is it? And they said, oh, a mutual friend. And then I was like, who else lives in Montecito? And I was like, Katie and Orlando. Now we've got like another piece of information. I didn't know they lived there until this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Is this how you're putting it together? Well, I remember when Harry and Meghan moved there, they said, Katie and Orlando have got some new neighbors. Oh. And then, and so that's the only house. famous couple I think that live in Montecito apart from Oprah. Who obviously Random. They must also have interview. a house in um, the Hollywood Hills because they definitely live there too. Oh, to have a thousand houses. Oh, to have, a th- yeah, a thousand. And be texting Prince Harry. So yeah, random Orlando Bloom chat. Apparently they text about the paparazzi. Uh, who's knocking on Orlando Bloom's door in 2021? Well, because of Katy Perry's baby. Oh, okay. Because he married <laughs> Katy Perry. No. <laughs> like, okay, legalist. Uh, yeah, literally. <laughs> so insane. Yeah. It's like I interviewed <laughs> in like 2015 and she was just like, it's really hard dealing with the paparazzi. I was like, <laughs> like God. do you even know who that is? Yes. Okay, she's famous. Yeah, I know who she is. Yeah. It's like yeah. us with our fans on, um, <laughs> oh, fuck. What? Don't say that. I'm panicked. Sorry. It's like us with our fans on, um, Instagram DM, but I just remembered something. Oh my God. Okay. So the most muffin thing of all time, we are part of a very, very special, very special plan. Oh, we're so excited to be part of this. D, if everything has gone to plan, you should have just opened a note from your best friend, Ellie, who asked you to tune into this episode of After Work Drinks. D, Allie wants to know if you'd be her maid of honor for her wedding. And she would be really excited if you said yes and was part of her big day. And if you would help her avoid making terrible style choices for her wedding. You guys can also DM us some options. Yes, please DM want. us please and keep us in touch. Two and judgmental bitches. So, we're Dee, congrats on the big gig. Yes. We were not paid for this. We wouldn't dare ask anyone money for money. This is out of the goodness of our own hearts. But also, if we get inundated, we're honestly not going to do any more. <laughs> yeah. Ali one is of these a week. the only bride we're doing this for. And we're so excited because she messaged us saying that we are the people that make Dee laugh more than anyone else. Really? So Dee. we'll be your MCs. Oh my for God. For a fee. <laughs> no, yeah, well, you have to pay us for this one, Ali, okay? We're not, pay- <laughs> we're not running a charity over here. Um, wow. I'm so, fla- like, literally flattery is, like, the most easiest route to our hearts. So to end this pod, a uh, huge shout out to Ali, the bride-to-be, and Dee, her maid of honour. And ask the MCs. Bye. And ask the MCs. Bye. Cute. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan 
turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.